It's good to see you both to join us this morning. We are continuing our studies in Corinthians, uh, the second uh, book of Corinthians, and my portion this morning is from uh, chapter 12, just the first 10 verses of chapter 12. When we decided that we're going to be dealing with 2 Corinthians, and uh, remember with looking at each other, Jim and, and Andrew, and would think of us and say, this is a very, very hard, hard one uh, to go through. But the more I have really like read again and again this particular book, and the more I have really come to appreciate the writings that are here more than perhaps I have done before. Let's read together, and then, and then we'll, we'll make some comments um, and afterwards. I'll read from my Bible. You can either listen to me or you can follow in your own Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago. Whether in the body, I cannot tell. Or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven, and I knew such a man. Whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. For such an one will I glory, yet, <clears throat> yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. Unless I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient to thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. And always, we trust that the Lord will bless the public reading of his word. Now, I don't know what you think, um, as you've read this, maybe you've read this during the week, or maybe you just read this in the morning in preparation for the meeting, or maybe you're just hearing it uh, now as we read through it. This is not a good read. This is a painful read. It's painful in that my mom, um, when she called me out, right, when, she, when she called me out and she would say, Ntutuzi, I would know that it's thumbs up. It's all good. 
I would know that my mom is happy with me. My mom delights in me. I'm in a good relationship with my mom. But when my mom called me and said, Duduzi, I would know that that is a different tone. I would know that I have done something not so good. I would know that my relationship with my mom at that moment is not the best. It could be better. I have somehow disappointed my mom. My mom is not calling me in that different tone because my mom doesn't love me or because my mom uh, intends to harm me. No. It's because my mom is hurt. She wants a relationship with me that is prosperous, that is healthy, that is close, that is affectionate. But the background, what we're reading here, this is not the situation here. The relationship here between the apostle and this a, a local assembly in Corinth is, is, is not really the best at this moment. This is hurtful to the apostle. The apostle is at pains here to try and restore a relationship with this assembly at Corinthians. He's trying to bring them to that place where he would rather prefer them to be. Because by this time, the assembly here should know better. They should have matured to a point where they will be able, on of themselves, on their own, to deal with some of these things so that the apostle does not have to deal with. He, would, he had expected that the assembly would see some of these things for themselves and they would root them out. They would mature in their knowledge of the things of God and they will be able to identify error and instead this assembly has tolerated amongst them people that really didn't mean them good. People that were distracting them from the proper teaching of the word of God, of how things should be. These so-called super apostles that were putting themselves in a pedestal, trying to undermine the authority of the apostle and everything that he had taught them. And this assembly seems to have been content to entertain these kind of things amongst them. And it's hurting the apostle. Not because, not, because, not because he is not being put on a pedestal, not because he is not being promoted, not because he's not being treated as a super apostle, but because they, have, they are bringing harm to themselves. They are hindering themselves to realize their full potential in their maturity to the things of God. I mean, in chapter 6, he says, you know, you Corinthians, our, our hearts are enlarged towards you. Our hearts are open towards you. We speak plainly towards you. But your hearts are restrained, not by us. Your affections are withdrawn from us. And he says, please, enlarge your hearts unto us. We have not harmed you. But the assemble here has 
tolerated amongst themselves these so-called super apostles who are, who are making a name for themselves at the expense of the apostle and the teachings that he has worked so hard to impart on them. There is an element of healthy jealousy here on the part of the apostle. Why? Because he wants the assembly at Corinth to mature and to grow and be able to root out these things for themselves and to prove themselves that they are maturing, be able to recognize error and be able to point it out. I am jealous too. I thank the Lord that we have young people amongst us. Let me tell you, young brothers and sisters, privately we are proud of you. We may not say it openly, but I'm saying it openly now. <laughs> we are proud of you. And we have dreams for you. We want you to grow. We want you to mature. We want to see you manifest your maturity and be able to identify error for yourselves and stand firmly on solid teaching. We want you to eat meat and we want to see it. It is so sweet every time a young brother comes here and prays. I would rather sit down and a young brother prays here. It thrills my heart. Maybe I'm getting old, but those are the things really that I can honestly say me, Andrew, and Jim want to see from you. They delight us. There is no such thing as a special prayer. There is no such thing as to attain a certain level in order for you to pray to the Lord. No, 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 no. We want you to come, grow, and pray for us and let us hear you. When we see that, we see that you are growing in the faith. We see that God is at work in you and we privately become even more proud of you. And this is what the Apostle Paul was expecting from the assembly at Corinth. But this was not the case from the assembly. So now, in the previous chapters, the Apostle Paul has been forced because, 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 because the assembly is, not, is, 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 is pushing him to a point where he starts talking about things that he doesn't want to talk about. So in a way, he, in the previous chapters, he had been um, elaborating on the physical evidence of the fact that he is the real apostle. He is the right person for them. That he is not like these super apostles. That actually he has authority and that actually he loves and cares about them. That they should listen to them. And he has enumerated physically, physical experiences that he has had. 
He has enumerated to their evidence that you know these things because we did them amongst you. Not that he wants to mention these things. Not that he wants to categorize these things. But he is forced to enumerate on these things. Now in chapter 12, he continues that thought. He is still in that, in that place where he doesn't want to be where he is finding himself having to talk about the things that he otherwise wouldn't want to talk about. But he is compelled to say these things. Ye compelled me, in verse 11, I'm still in Andrew's, Andrew's, Andrew's uh, ministry next week. But he says, you are compelling me to talk about these things. And now he is going to move from the physical things. Now he is going to talk about spiritual things. I know the reading is very hard, so I'm going to try and explain a little bit more as we go here. So that you can see the dynamics that are behind the scenes. And by the way, these things, they are being, they are written down for us that we may learn these things. And it is my hope as an assembly that we can take lessons for ourselves. I mean, the more I've been reading 2 Corinthians, the more I have realized, actually I've come to appreciate how actually practical these writings are. That is difficult as I was afraid to tackle these issues. But actually, these are things that we really need as an assemble to uh, grasp and, and, and apply in our lives. So let us look at the things that he touches here. So now he is moving from the physical things. And now he is compelled now to talk about spiritual things. And this is what he then says. It is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory. So now, again, he sets the tone here that he does not want to glory. He doesn't want to talk about these things. But the assembly has failed the apostle here. And now he is compelled to talk about these things. And says, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I have told you of the physical things in the previous chapters. Now I'm going to tell you, you know... I, you know, I don't talk a lot about these things. I could say a lot about these things, but I don't talk about them because the apostle is a humble man. The apostle is a great apostle. I think we can say that now. He is a great apostle. But he is humble. One of the marks of being a great man or woman of God is being humble. The apostle is very humble. But he says, now you are forcing me. So I am going to tell you things that these super apostles cannot tell you about these things. They don't know these things. But I am going to tell you. I have a relationship with my Lord. I am not fake. My faith is real. The God that I serve the God that I'm a representative of is actually real. And I have had experiences with him. He says, now I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to tell you about some of the experiences that I've had with my God. They call themselves super apostles? What do they tell you? What, how, how have they enriched you? I am going to let you into some enrichment on the things of God. I am going to open a curtain a little bit. I want you to know a little bit of my experience with my Lord. Now, let me pause here for a, for a moment. We serve a living God, right? 
Do you believe that you serve a living God? Our God is real. Do you believe that? Our God is powerful. Do you believe that? Our God talks. Do you believe that? The God that we serve talks. The apostle is able to point to an experience. But this is his experience. It's not your experience. It's not my experience. This is his experience. The same God who gave the apostle this experience is the same God that we serve today. And he talks to us today. Now, I am not saying, please, let me be very clear. I am not saying we should be looking up in the sky, waiting for a loud voice or a light, bright light to shine around. If that happens, great. But th- th- this is not what I'm advocating. But this is what I want to say. If you are in fellowship with God, And you are walking with him. In your life, you should be able to trace and say, at that point, God did this for me. I had an experience with God. Now, I'm not talking about hocus pocus kind of things, but I want to say to you, If you walk with God and God is in your life, God will be active in your life. This is a truth. This is a reality. Again, I don't want to take to say a lot just like the Apostle Paul, but I can tell you from more than 20 years of experience in the faith, God moves in Christians' lives. And God put markers in people's lives. So that as a believer, you should be able to look back and say, you know, if you run to a bus stop, right? If you run to a bus stop and you want to catch a bus, and as you get to the bus stop and the, 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 the door closes, right? And you knock on the door and the, and, and the bus just pulls away, right? Okay, I hope you don't use bad words at that moment. But... Once you are frustrated and then maybe you are punching in the air and then the bus drives away, there it goes and as you look it, riding into the sunshine and then as it crosses the railway line and then all of a sudden a train comes and hits the bus and everybody perishes in the bus. What comes to your mind? God saved you. It is God who made you miss that bus. Now, it might be that five years down the line, 10 years down the line, 15 years down the line, right? You'll be in a very dark spot. And you have no answers to a situation. And the enemy is going to come to you, and you can be sure of this. Where is thy God? You believe in God? You think you're a child of God? Look, look, look at your neighbor. He doesn't pray to God. Look at him. Look at yourself. 
But if if you are if if you are walking in God, I will tell you those experiences they will take you back and you'll be able to say, I know the God that I serve because I know that I shouldn't be here today. He saved me from boarding that bus. God intervened in my life and he did this for me. May I suggest one of the reasons why we don't have such experiences in our lives is that we don't involve God in our lives. If we are surrendered to God and if, if really we appreciated how God is interested in our lives and we involved him in everything, you would have so many markers in your lives. There is no chance that the enemy can fool you otherwise that God is not there or that God doesn't love you or anything like that. He will never fool you because you have experiences with God. You know it for yourself. This is not for somebody else. This is for you. God working in your life and putting a marker and say, you are mine. Don't forget this. Have you ever listened to a child's prayer? It's the best prayer. You know, when a child prays, they pray over their toys. They pray over their teacher that they should have a warm coat because they were in a class and they realized that the teacher was cold. They, they pray over, over you know, seemingly trivial things. They, because a child who has been brought up in the things of God, they, they have an understanding that we perhaps don't have. That God is involved in everything. And we miss out on the experiences with God because we think, oh, we are adults. Ah, I've saved up enough, let me buy a house. Have you consulted God about that? I've met a great guy, we're going to get married. Have you consulted God about that? I'm looking for a job. Oh, I've been offered actually a higher salary. Have you consulted God about that? Do you have an idea what God thinks about that? But the Apostle Paul was able, he had these experiences, and he was able to point now to the Corinthians, to his supernatural experience that we had, that he had with God. Now, realize this, he speaks in an impersonal way, right? He speaks in the third person. I knew this person, but why is he doing this? Because he doesn't want to shine the light onto himself. When God deals us with this, as we walk with God and, and we see God dealing with us in our lives, and as we recognize his hand being at work in our life, it is not so that we can be puffed up. Right? I was going to say, it is not so that we can write books about it. I'm not saying because I'm against writing books. But I'm saying to you, when God deals with us, it's because God as a father is looking after us. God is, is, is caring after us for our well-being. It is not for our own pride. His purpose, he is, he is engineering his purposes through us to his own glory. 
so that he will be glorified. And the apostle doesn't want the spotlight to be pointed onto him because, because he, had, he had been to the third heavens. Now, I'm not going even going to, to try and untangle what, what is the third heaven? What is, it, does it, what, what is the second heaven? What is the first heaven? I, I don't think that's the point here. I think the point is he wanted to paradise. He says that, basically. That's the point. He wanted to paradise. Who has been to paradise here? We, should we all want to go to paradise, have experiences to go to paradise? No. This is an apostle's experience. Your experience is what kind of a job you are going to get. I don't know. Maybe your experience is going to be what kind of a social... I don't know. Your experience should be your own experience. Your own. We shouldn't want, therefore, to go into third heaven. If God says, takes us into third heaven, that's great. But we shouldn't, therefore, be wanting what is Apostle Paul's the apostle, what is Apostle Paul's is Apostle Paul's. We have our own experiences to have with our own God to speak of. We have our own experiences that we can then treasure for ourselves. And they would grow us and help us to grow in our, in, in our lives. Because God knows what we need. God knows what sort of people that we are. So he speaks in a third person. And he says, I, I knew this man. And he, went, and he heard things unspeakable. Words which are not lawful for men to utter. The Apostle Paul doesn't even tell us what those words are. He knew them. But he didn't tell us. But he is forced here to talk about these things. But yet he is still discreet. Not to elaborate further. Some of the things that God deals with us they're not for us to come and preach about. They're not for us to come and share. Hey, you've no idea. No, 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 no. When Israel, jumped, when Israel crossed the River Jordan, they put two types of stones. They put a set of stones in the river, and they put another set of stones outside the river on the other side. He said, what is this? This is going to be a testament. Then you don't forget that God did this. So when people, when the Hittites and whatever, whatever the people, Canaanites that were in the land, were walking by, they would see this thing and they would ask in Israel, what, is this? what are these stones? Oh, this is because God, God crossed us. But they would not see the stones that were in the river. But Israel knew that there were stones. There was another testament that was in the river. But God chose to hide that one so that only Israel would know about them. God had done many great things with Israel. Some of them, they were for the people to see. Some of them, they were only for God and Israel. Not everything that God does in our lives is supposed to be put on the chronicle. God sometimes deals with us privately. There is such a thing as private dealings with God. It is immaturity sometimes as Christians when we do not make a distinction of these things. And so he lets them into this experience. And then verse 7 
And lest I should be exalted above measure. Now, the apostle is now back to planet Earth with an experience like this, having been into paradise. If you went into paradise, my goodness, and came back on Earth, I'll be calling CNN and Sky News and BBC. You have no idea. Hey, I've got something to tell you. No doubt, the Apostle Paul, after such an experience, the flesh would rear its head. And God said, be silent. We don't know what this issue was. There's speculation among scholars. I'm not going to try and do that. Right? But God said, no. You are not going to be puffed up about this. Stopped him, stopped him dead in his tracks. Sometimes we don't know why God allow certain things in our lives. Actually, maybe you can go and ask him. I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think you can ask God. You know, he's not, he's not a tyrant God. He's not, he won't be angry at you for asking. You can ask God. He's your father. Why is this happening to me? Lord, are you trying to teach me something here? If you are trying to teach me something, please tell me what it is. I want to know. Do you believe that if you asked like that, God would just say, go away? No. See, I think one of the, one of the troubles in, Christ, in Christianity is that we do not recognize that our faith is actually a real thing. It's, it's, it's actually a, it's, it's a very practical life. It's... it's, it's, it's being a Christian is not a mundane thing. It's not, it's, it's, it's not just like some kind of an abstract experience that we only activate on Sunday when we come to church. You know, being a Christian really is coming. We always tell people that, no, we are talking about a person. We are not talking about a religion. You know what? Maybe we just use that phrase. But it's so true. Because we are introducing you into a relationship with a person our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And because he is alive, you get into a relationship with the Lord. Understand this, dear saint of God. You get into a relationship with him as the almighty and the powerful one and the independent one. You, you are in a relationship with him as the small, insignificant, and dependent one. God knows that. And as the dependent one in this relationship, you are invited to draw on the independent, all-powerful one in your life. Ask him. Talk to him. That's what Christianity is. That is what real Christianity is. Talk to your God. He is not a mysterious being that is unknowable, far somewhere in the sky that we can't reach. God is close. God is here right now. He can talk to us. 
that the Apostle Paul was stopped in his tracks. We're not going to talk about this thing. So, we, so, so some of the things that happen in our lives, we may not know, but God knows some of these things. But what I'm trying to say to you is, take those things to your Lord. Don't come to me. I, I mean, you can come to me. But the honest truth is, some of these things God is dealing with you. And even I, even elders of this church, they're not supposed to be privy to those. We're not saying don't come to us, but I'm just saying, as we mature as Christians, and as we identify these things, and as we recognize that God is actually active in our lives, we can actually relate to God in a way that our relationship is meant to be with God. Ask him, he will talk to you. He may not be when you want him to talk to you or maybe in the way that he wants to talk to you. But I believe with all my heart that our God speaks. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times the Apostle Paul, whatever this thing was, the Apostle Paul asked three times that God would take it away. And God said no. Now, when we ask things from God, are we prepared to take a no for an answer? I can tell you, I don't like that. But the truth, the, the truth about the things of God is that he sometimes says, says no. You may try again and again and again. You can, you can fast all you like. All you do, you achieve with loss, loss of weight. And he's going to say no. Again, we need to be mature to, 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 to understand where we are with God and what God is saying. And I, nobody can do that for you. I'll tell you this. This is something that you yourself have to grow with your Lord on your own to attain. And then when God says no, what do you do? You throw a tantrum. Is that what we do? Tantrums are for babies. Yeah, I want to stick my fingers into, into the socket and then put it in. That's for babies. If you throw a tantrum, you are a baby. Many people on the streets, you meet them on the streets. And one of the things that they raise up, why they walked out in the faith, is because something happened in their lives which they didn't want. Maybe not to them, but maybe to their loved ones or something like that. Now, I'm not trying to trivialize some of these things because there are some of them that are really real things and painful things. But how do we respond to those things? When God says no or when God allows certain things to happen in our lives that otherwise, given a choice, wouldn't choose them, do we then throw a tantrum and hate God and become anti-God? Is that what we become? Should the Apostle Paul here, because God has said no three times, and then decide this is not worth it, throw it out of the window, and then go back and look for his Pharisee's robe? He didn't. But here is one thing that he understood. I don't know how. Again, that's his experience. But he understood it. And I can tell you, 
as I am maybe going on and on and on about this, there are people today here, there are people, Christians, today, who know why certain things happened in their lives. They know because God told them. I, I won't tell you why or how, but they know how God. You remember the example that I gave you of a bus that was hit and you were saved from it. You can say that because you know, because you experienced it. The Apostle Paul was able to say, the Lord said no, because he said, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, what do they tell you about being a Christian? I know I'm going over, over time, just bear with me a little bit. They tell you that if things are working fantastically with you, so God is at work. This is the will of God for you. When things are great, everything that you want is just everything just falling into place. That is evidence that actually God is at work in your life. That's babish Christianity. We need to mature. We need to mature and go to scripture and really actually look what scripture says about these things. The apostle Paul was in a position or had a situation that he would rather did not have. But he was mature and understood that this is actually good for him. He understood that actually this was the will of the Lord for him. The will of the Lord and your will are two different things. And one day they will clash. What gives? What gives? If I'm not talking to yourself, I am talking to myself. You know, I'm saying when I was reading this, you know, I, I realized how practical, how real these things are. And I was greatly encouraged. I realized something that I've not seen before. Therefore, most glad, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecution, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Never is a Christian stronger than when they have lost control. When you lose control, when you are no longer in charge, who takes full control? He does. You can never be in a better place than when you have lost control and God is taking control. Talk to Christians, good Christians. They will tell you, they may not publish some of this, but they will tell you privately their experiences with God. When you have come to the end of yourself, it is the best place to be. Because at that point, 
you can do nothing. And God can do everything. Let us pray. Father, we thank and bless you because you are a good and wonderful God unto us. These things, Lord, your voice is very loud and clear and speaks very plainly unto us. But Lord, we pray and ask that you would help us to listen. That you would help us, Lord, to take these things and we can live them out. We thank you that we serve a living God who is at work in our lives and who wants us to be in a good relationship with you. Help us therefore, Lord, and forgive us where we fail. Give us the strength, Lord, to yield unto thee that your glory may be manifest in our lives. These things, Lord, we ask in your name. Amen. Sorry, that's African time.